0: jcasnetwork.org
1: Shalom and welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Joshua Cahan, and today we are studying Masachash Shkalim, page 3, Daf Gimel. Today I want to look at a small digression that we see in the course of talking about the collection of the Shekel. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, asks, How can you read these verses and not weep? He's referring to a list of three pairs of verses, each pair having one good and one bad image of Israel. First, in giving to the Mishkan in Exodus 25, we learn that all who wanted to give, gave money or treasures. Seemingly not everyone. For the golden calf in Exodus 32, however, the Torah said that kol ha'am, everyone, volunteered their gold. Two. In Exodus 19, Moshe leads the people out from the camp to the base of Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. But when it came to sending the evil spies to scout out and ultimately denigrate the land, the people approached Moshe of their own accord. 3. After crossing the Red Sea and watching the Egyptians drown, Moshe leads the people in song and praise of God. Yet when, after hearing the spies' damning report... They wanted to spurn God's gift of the land. We find that the people are quite capable of expressing themselves clearly without Moshe's urging. Rabbi Ba Bar Acha offers a slightly different version of this critique, which seems softer, but is in a way more damning. It's impossible to pin down the character of these people, he tells us. You ask them to give for a calf, they give. For the Mishkan, they give. Rabbi Abba seems to be comparing the gifts for the calf to the shekel tax in Exodus 30 rather than the voluntary donations in Exodus 25. In a way, this is less harsh. Everyone gave to the Mishkan just as they did to the calf. And there's a suggestion that the gifts for the calf, like those for the shekel, were not entirely voluntary. But by seeing them as identical... Rabbi Abba suggests that the desert travelers were basically like lemmings, with no character at all. They do what they're told, whether that is divine service or, or idolatry. Now this is a big deal because the rabbis have a major investment in the transhistorical uniqueness of the desert experience, and thus of the generation that experienced it. All of subsequent Jewish history is often described as versions of the paradigmatic experiences described in the Torah. The deeds and experiences of the ancestors are a sign for the descendants. All of Jewish identity is traced back in one way or another to the exodus from Egypt and the receiving of the Torah at Sinai. The very authority of the entire Jewish tradition is said to rest in the fact, as Moshe dramatically argues in Deuteronomy chapter 4, that the generation of Israelites of the desert directly witnessed God's mighty hand in Egypt and saw God's presence descend on Sinai to present the Torah. These are experiences that no other generation of Jews or of human beings would have. And here they are, the generation granted this vision unique in human history. And they run with more alacrity to challenge God than to praise God, to turn away from God than to approach God. You can almost hear the wistful sadness in their voices as Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Abba make these observations. What we wouldn't give, they say, to have such an opportunity. And the generation so privileged... This is how they handled it? They were not prepared to fully embrace God, so they ended up trying to run away instead. If only we had been there! Of course, none of us know what we would have done had we been there. In every generation, each of us is expected to see ourselves as, we, as if we ourselves had left Egypt, as if the story had happened to us personally. But it's a fake-out, and we know it, because we were not slaves in Egypt. And we know for sure that experiencing the life of a slave would without question have had a profound impact on our personalities and on our view of the world, one that we cannot begin to reconstruct or guess at. Elsewhere, the rabbis talk about how the Exodus had to be led by Moshe because he alone among the Israelites had never been a slave, so his soul was intact. Only he understood the meaning and the uh, the experience of freedom and of power. Those who had been slaves, the rabbis understand, had internalized the experience of slavery too much to ever lead themselves out. It is precisely the episode of the spies re- referenced by Rabbi Yehuda that leads to the final determination that the generation of slaves would not enter the promised land, that the new commonwealth had to be built by those who were born free. Now, this is in part presented as a punishment, but from beginning to end, the rabbis are deeply aware that the generation of the desert, the people who experienced the plagues, the splitting of the sea, and revelation, are the same people who were so deeply trapped within the slave mentality that they would never escape it and could not possibly build the new the new nation. Think back to the troubling Midrash that God coerced the Israelites into accepting the Torah, holding the mountain over their heads, and threatening to crush them if they did not accept. It is an image of a nation ill-prepared to take on what was being asked of them. This is an image in which the moment of God's giving of the Torah is only the most preliminary, preliminary halting step in Israel accepting it. In this image, God's act happens in a moment, but our act of understanding and embracing the Torah must develop over the course of centuries, not only because of the Torah's complexity and depth, but because we are only gradually growing into a place where we can both learn and live the Torah in the way that God truly intended.
0: Shalom.